Hello everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Changing the Climate, a show where we talk about the changing world around us and how we can make it better. Brought to you by Climate Change Realty. The only real estate brokerage that donates 50% of its net commissions to 501c3 nonprofit organizations dedicated to fighting climate change. Hello, hello, everybody, and welcome back to a very special episode of Changing the Climate. I am delighted to have two guests at once uh, for the second time ever on this show to talk about a variety of different housing stuff in the city of Boulder. So I'm excited to welcome Eric Budd and Chelsea Castellano. And of course, we always love to get this show started with a little bit of background on who you are and how you got to be doing what you're doing at the moment. So we're going to go ahead and start with Eric. Eric, thank you so much. Take it away. Thank you, Ethan. Um, yeah, that's a great question. I, I've lived in Boulder about 10 years. Um, when I moved out to Colorado, I was super into uh, being outside, riding bikes, um, all sorts of outdoor stuff, meeting people. And um, kind of the thing that I started to realize is that Boulder's a great place. It makes a lot of the like top 10 lists or the top of the list of, of a lot of things like that are positive about it. And <clears throat> just thinking about like, you know, how can we make sure that our our community is like, like healthy and growing and, and inclusive to, to so many people, because like, we have such a great thing going on here. And a lot of that to me was like, well, how can we, how can we work on more sustainable transportation? How can we get people, more people on bikes or, or taking buses, that sort of thing. And then a lot of that really came into uh, how do we use our land and, and how do we house people and how can we make sure that that's equitable and that, that uh, you know, middle class and working class people can afford to live here, and that's that's really driven so much of my interest in in like um, working on this uh, organization and campaign, bedrooms are for people, and really even beyond that. Cool, man. What's your favorite part of the city? Uh, or no the community parts? I mean, all of it. Yeah, I mean, the I think that the things that I really love and like, I don't know. I think. I said I've been in Boulder about 10 years and and I think I had my existential freak out about five years ago. I was like, is this still the right place for me? And mm-hmm. so I went through those things of like the reasons I came out here and you know, are they still true? And I think those things are like definitely being in a city, but also being close to nature. That's that's super important to me. Um, developing those ties in the community. We have some great community events and um, people getting together. Um, that, that I really, that I really enjoy. And, um, and also just like, there's a, there's a lot of like smart, hardworking people who really want to make a positive difference. And that's probably the biggest thing to me. I love people like that as well. Thanks for giving the introduction, man. Chelsea, we'll pass it to you. Who are you? What have you been up to? <laughs> um, hi, I'm Chelsea Castellano. Um, yeah, so the question of, you know, how, how we got here, you know, it's sort of, it's a windy road. Um, but my, my now husband worked for the city and part of his job was to watch city council meetings. This was back in 2014. I've lived in Boulder for 13 years, went to CU, came out here to be at CU and just never found anywhere I wanted to live more than here. Um, yeah. So in watching those city council meetings, I, Um, was exposed to how decisions were made for our community and was pretty appalled by 
the people who were making those decisions and how they were not representative of the community at large. And um, it just really opened my eyes to the opportunity to get involved and really make a difference in a way that we as community members could could really feel. Um, and, you know, I, I've done, I, I, my background is in environmental science and um, I started as a climate activist, you know, marching in DC. And that's, that's really where my, my passion for activism started. And um, over time, you know, learning more about the social justice issues. And, you know, I, I just truly believe that we, we can't tackle climate until we have a socially just society. Um, and one of the, you know, then it's like, okay, well, what do we do about that? And there's a lot of low hanging fruit, um, you know, where we can as individuals make an impact. Um, and one of the pain points that I felt in the community and that I saw in the community was that we were restricting access to housing simply because people weren't related. And that's something that I felt yeah. like, hey, we have the opportunity to make this change. We have the power to make this change um, through direct democracy. And so um, so we should do that. Um, we sort of have a responsibility to in a way if we know that we can. Um, so, yeah, so that's how. I got here. Very <laughs> cool. Here on this yeah. podcast. <laughs> yeah. yeah, happy to have you. I'm I'm just curious what would like a socially just society like look like to you and how is it like different from what, what the way we're living right now? Well, that's a very big question. Um, I like big questions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, for me it means that everyone has equitable access to housing, that's one piece of it. Housing is such an important part of being able to build a life um, that sure. is stable and where you're, you know, you're able to think about other things besides where, you know, are you going to have a roof over your head? Um, so that's one piece of it. And, you know, I really, I felt this when, um, my we were renting a place and the place got bought out underneath us and we had a month to figure out where to live you know and wow. we were in a situation where we had resources to find like a new rental you know it wasn't a financial thing but just the the stress that comes with not knowing where you're gonna live like feeling that is really scary um and so there's some you know essentially everyone's basic needs need to be met in order like that's, that's first and foremost. So everyone needs to be able to live in a healthy and, and safe place. Um, and then I think we can go on to solving these other big problems um, that we have to tackle like climate change. Um, and obviously we can do those things simultaneously, but I think until everyone's basic needs are met and everyone, you know, doesn't live in fear of either eviction or being like caused harm, then we're not going to be able to to really like live in the, in the ideal state that we are striving to. Yeah, no, no, I love that. I'm, I was, uh, I'm a big UBI guy, but I'm trying not to get too deep into the weeds of politics. That that's interesting that you like started from like an ecological standpoint and then got, and then moved. And then as you kind of looked into it more, you're like, Whoa, we got to fix all like the social stuff first. How did that like kind of come about? I don't know. Um, I'm, I, I'm getting to the same conclusion because I, I started from, from environment and the deeper you look in, you see that it's, it's the people that we yeah, need to like, you know I, mean, I mean, 
So, yeah, I mean, I think it's a lot of like, as you learn about the impacts of climate change and not just climate change, but um, on pollution and, you know, the exposure that communities have to chemicals and um, how that impacts people's health and, you know, looking into like the, you know, people where there are high, where there's higher pollution, there's disproportionately higher populations of um, minorities, like, and so, you know, we're, we're essentially, we're, you know, um, outsourcing our, like, lifestyle to groups of people who just don't have the same resources, um, mm. or have been historically, um, you know, discriminated against. So, when you look at that, it's like, wow, that's the crisis. Like, that's the, like, that's the, you know, I think it's important that we care about the land and the trees and the, the flowers, like in the animals too. But if we can't care about people and how this is impacting people, then I don't think we can solve the problem for the, for the, you know, for the ecosystem either. So I think yeah. that's how I came about to, I don't know. I haven't thought no, I too love much it. about it. <laughs> Fair enough. If you do, you can get, yeah. you can get down a, a dark rabbit hole, but no, very well put. I appreciate you sharing. So Eric, I'm going to pass the mic to you. Cause obviously this question is a little bit more relevant to you. Like I, let's explain to people what is like Boulder city council and like, how does it work? And, you know, throw in a little shout out to yourself as well. Yeah. Um, I don't need a shout out. I, I did run for city council before, but, uh, that uh, that that's when I learned probably a lot about it, much more than the average person really seems to care about. I mean, that I think the reality is that um, every city has a city council and a lot of people don't really know the nuts and bolts of what they do. And <clears throat> a lot of it is kind of boring, but some of it really matters. Um, I think all, all the things that we've been talking about, about housing so far, um, the city council has massive, massive power over how the land in the city is used. And that means that means like what land is, is annexed into the city, what, what is actually the boundaries of the city, um, how are the utilities provided? That means um, water, um, um, uh, trash service, it means electricity, that sort of thing, um, you know, because those are important resources and for the population and for businesses. Um, also, you know, very, a very big part, um, that that's been talked about a lot in the past year is, is how policing is, is really implemented in cities. And, and that's a big deal because it's, um, I, I think for, for definitely some parts of Boulder or like, particularly like people of color or people of lower income or potentially homeless, like how the police interacts with people is, uh, incredibly important and another place where we need to have, um, you know, a social justice lens of that. Um, so I'm really just scratching the surface, but um, I'm really trying to mention those things that, that why it's important to care about city council is because um, so many of these things are directly touching, you know, how people live every day. Um, federal policy is very important, but what happens locally, like, can make a decision tomorrow and, and something is, is drastically on a different path. Um, yeah. So I don't know, Chelsea, if you want to weigh in on that too. Yeah. I mean, is so city council, are they like, like the Congress of Boulder? Like, how does it, like, how exactly does it like work? Yeah. yeah. Somewhat. I mean, they make the rules. Um, some of the, so some rules they can just, um, 
they can put forward and there's a process where you know they put legislation forward and then there's opportunities for the community to provide open like up there's usually a public hearing where the community can provide input on the proposal um, and then it gets implemented there's also you know there's um we have what's called the charter, which is sort of our city's constitution. And those, any changes to that um, have to be made through a vote of the people. So um, usually during elections, there's um, some charter amendments that get put to the people um, to vote on. Actually our amendment, our, our initiative last year in 2020 was a charter amendment um, that, we were, that we were putting forward. Um, this year we're we're running it as a municipal initiative, um, which is still being put to the vote of the people, but it's it's slightly different in that um, it's not changing the charter. Anyway, um, that's okay. that's there. But yeah, so essentially they're the legislative body. They they um, can approve things. They can deny things like big developments. They also have control over that. Um, they have a lot of control over pretty much anything that like any rule that exists in the city, any um, allowance of building or or um, barrier for building or um, let's see, there's a lot there's a lot of different things to think about. But almost right. anything that happens in the city, <laughs> the city council has control over in some way, touches it in some way, whether it's a liquor license, being able to, you know, for your favorite restaurant to be able to serve beer or um, for, you know, how many people can live together in a house. Like those are all things that the city council control. So it's, it's pretty powerful, um, pretty powerful role um, that they that they hold. Mm-hmm. And you and anyone can have an impact on them. You can call them. You can write them letters. You can run yourself. Everyone keep that in mind. Government is people. And speaking of people, let's get into the details of the initiative you guys have been working on now, which we've hinted at or discussed several times on this podcast already with Philip Ogren and Sarah Don Haynes. But um, so let's start with what is Bedrooms Are For People and why do we need it? Either or. You want to go for it, Chelsea? You, you're like such a great communicator about our measure. Hate it, Chelsea. Specifically about our measure. Don't talk to me about other things. No. <laughs> <laughs> no promises. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, bedrooms are for people is a ballot initiative. It's a proposal that will be on the ballot in November of 2021. This upcoming November, and essentially. The current law in Boulder is that it is illegal for more than three unrelated people to live together in most of the town. In some areas, the limit is four. It doesn't matter how big the house is or how old or young the residents are, or even if the owner of the house lives in the home. And so our proposal would set occupancy limits for unrelated people to equal the number of bedrooms in the house plus one. So if you lived in a three bedroom house, you can have four unrelated people live together, um, four bedroom house, five unrelated people to live together. Um, people sometimes ask, well, what's that extra person for? What are they doing here? Um, they, you know, we wanted to give some flexibility for a couple to live together um, or for what, like a room to be shared to increase affordability. We just, for us, we have a lot of people on our team who either are currently or have been overoccupied in that situation where there's one more person than there are bedrooms. And we felt that um, that if we're going to move forward with 
doing all this work, it is a lot of work to get something on the ballot and to get it passed, that we wanted it to be meaningful and give flexibility for people. Um, now, with all that being said, um, as part of our measure, we do have some um, you know, restrictions, which is it has to, all of the, the living situation has to meet the health and safety code. Um, so essentially it's, you know, there are some codes that say, you know, you need a certain amount of people, um, or you can't have more people, you know, based on square footage or, um, you know, there's just health and safety codes that prevent overcrowding and, um, and that applies to our measure. Um, although we, you know, you don't expect that to happen when it's just one person per bedroom plus one, but we do care that people are living in health, healthy and safe, um, situations. And there are some limits on like what counts as a bedroom. So a bedroom, um, is defined, um, in, in other international building codes and it has to be like 70 square feet and it has to have a door and a window and it has to have heating and things like that. So it, it, there are some, you know, boundaries on what we're doing, um, but it'll make a meaningful impact for a lot of people in our community um, currently and in the future so that people don't have to live illegally simply for sharing housing. Yeah, I'm pretty confident that I have lived illegally in Boulder. I'm, I'm not sure because I wasn't the owner of the house, so I didn't wasn't concerned with it. But I, I think that that is the case. So this law, I mean, this would just make make more sense. Um, Eric, um, what's your experience been like uh, getting this initiative kind of going and getting it actually onto the ballot? Oh, that was that's a long story. Then I'll try to boil it down. Um, <laughs> so. So a lot of people don't know this. We don't talk about this a whole lot, but um, really the first time this initiative was floated was in 2016. And it was a group of graduate students at CU Boulder. And, and I mentioned graduate students specifically because um, unlike undergraduates, graduate students are really, they kind of have a raw deal of like, they come to Boulder, they, they might work for the university. They, they, the university doesn't pay very well, I, honestly, for the work they're doing. It's usually in the range of twenty to twenty-five thousand dollars. That's pretty common. Um, and um, and the city in twenty fifteen was really talking about increasing enforcement on people sharing housing, and so that that really prompted this measure. Like we need to change this law. And so I was peripherally involved in the effort that year. Um, they got a lot of signatures, but didn't uh, get it on the ballot. And you know, but but learned a lot, and and some of those folks are still on our team today. And then 2020 came around, um, really like like December 2019, January 2020, and a group of us basically said like this is the year to try again. And so, so there's a whole saga about last year, but essentially we we built an incredible team starting out with about 12 to 15 people who really wanted to see this happen. And um, we put our language together and um, started started the process uh, in March of 2020. Um, and we were official with the city, ready to circulate our measure. And then of course the pandemic hit. And Ooh. how do you how do you like do political organizing where you need to go and get signatures in a pandemic? That was something that no one had, had ever thought about before. Um, so we delayed about a month and we started in, in May and we started doing the things that people said were safe to do, like uh, be in outdoor spaces, wear masks, uh, use hand sanitizer, that sort of thing. And uh, we collected a lot of signatures over the course of, of uh, about 85 days. We had 
collected over 5,200, you know, official ballot signatures with the city of Boulder. Um, wow. During that time, the uh, uh, essentially uh, so, some people who were really opposed to what we were doing were talking to the city and, and essentially saying that the city had misrepresented um, the process for the uh, how to get something on the ballot. And in the city, we were in July and the city essentially said, well, yeah, you actually need twice the number of signatures and they were they were due in June. Um, and so this became a huge mess because the city just retroactively changed their their rules on, on what was required, uh, which then um, the only recourse that we had was to sue the city. And um, we Whoa. filed a lawsuit in the district court. The district court um, judge essentially said, well, I agree with you, the city screwed everything up, but I, I don't have the power to like over overturn this decision based on what the actual laws appear to say. Um, so that was, the, that was the saga last year. Um, we were kept off the ballot. Uh, oh, wow. We had a, a huge march in September of 2020. And we said, hey, we're gonna do this again in 2021 because during, during that time, we asked the city council to consider changing these laws. They, they essentially said, we're not going to, to look at this. And we said, the only way we're gonna make changes is if we keep going. Hell yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So maybe, maybe Chelsea can give like the recap of 2021. Cause like, that's only half okay. the story. Yeah. Let's, let's keep it going. This is very interesting. Yeah. So we, we were not deterred. We were, I mean, disappointed, but not deterred. Um, so again, back to the other question of what city council can do. So city council, the city council, the current city council voted to, well, one, they voted to spend $50,000 to pay a lawyer to go against us in the court. So that's where your taxpayer money is going. Um, and they also, <laughs> yeah, yeah, shocking. And then, um, so they actually voted to change the election laws and then they voted to, they had the opportunity. They could have been like, look, we'll honor, we'll honor what you did. They could have just put our measure on the ballot anyway. They did that actually for another measure that was in the same boat as us, but not our measure. Um, so yeah, so city council has a lot of power. Um, so yeah, so we decided we were, we were not going to let that stop us. We had an amazing team. We would just do it again. So we collected, um, we collected signatures again. We actually used the city developed a, um, a digital way to collect signatures. It's actually the first in, they say the first in the world to, um, a process for online signature collection for a ballot initiative. Um, and, you know, we felt the pain of being the, the guinea pigs of that system. Um, it was difficult to collect signatures digitally because of the way that they've set it up. And it was very secure. Let's just call it like it was, it was extremely secure, an extremely secure process that was so secure that a lot of people had a lot of trouble with it. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, you know, ultimately we did get the number of signatures we needed. We had a lot of people who tried to collect or tried to sign who couldn't finish, but that's, that's sort of, you know, that that's in the past now. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> yeah. 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 And so in May, we, um, you know, our deadline was in June and in May, we collected the number of signatures we needed. And um, so now we're 
officially on the ballot and we've been uh, just doing a lot of community engagement, getting endorsements from local organizations who care about um, you know, making sure our community is more equitable and affordable and welcoming to everybody. Um, and yeah, so, so it's been a long road. It's been a tough 18 months. Like Eric and I have are really dedicated to this and we have a team of people, a growing team of people who are really dedicated to this. And, um, yeah, so we're excited to get this over the finish line. Oh yeah, man. You guys are awesome. This is just like a volunteer, a volunteer project for you oh, guys, yes. right? Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. I yeah, wish I was getting paid for these hours. <laughs> yeah. I like to say at Chelsea, yeah. this is my second job that I don't get paid for. It costs me money. Yeah. yeah. No yeah. kidding. Yeah. I'm, I'm wondering how like the occupancy laws in Boulder compare to like other cities in Colorado. Yeah, that's yeah. Eric, do you want to take that one? <clears throat> yeah, sure. It's it's interesting because <clears throat> there's been a lot of discussion about occupancy limits in the past few years, and not just in Colorado. Um, so um, one thing we've been looking at is that there are several states recently that um, essentially made it illegal to for cities to have occupancy limits at all, and that that was the state of Iowa in 2017, and both Oregon and Washington in 2021. And in Colorado, we haven't done that at a statewide level, but there are a number of cities that are that are looking at these because of the discriminatory effects of these laws. And so, mm -hmm. um, so Denver recently uh, in, increased their occupancy limit to um, to allow up to five unrelated people to live together. Um, and I think like Fort Collins, there's been an on and off discussion to change this. Uh, Greeley and some other smaller cities. And one, one really thing, interesting thing that came out of the, the Denver um, studies of this was that essentially the, they put together this great infographic that, that we've been using a lot, which is it has a number of cities in Colorado and has their occupancy limits. And then it also has the average occupancy in the homes. And what you see is that there, there's not really a correlation between what the limit is and what the number in the, of people actually in homes are. And so, you know, a, a lot of what that tells me is that there's, um, you know, these raw laws are really doing a lot to restrict housing, um, but they're, they're not fundamentally changing, you know, the populations of cities or, or whatnot. Um, and so, yeah, I think like our, our position is we, we think that these laws should change entirely. Um, we've, we made this proposal that essentially what we think is reasonable and um, that's how we're moving forward. Okay, cool. So what I want to kind of talk about now is like the other side of the fence. So so you might say I want to like hear what the argument would be for like keeping these laws and who are these people, whether they're influencing the city council or they're on the city council, what is their vested interest for keeping this three, it's three unrelated people in place, right? Why, why, why is that good for the city? Why do people want to keep that? And how did it even come about to begin with? Yeah, I mean, I can touch on why people like it. I mean, we were in a presentation yesterday um, and we actually, we have an opposition group called the People for Real Housing Affordability. Okay. Um, and their their main goal is to oppose us. So that's, <laughs> yeah. Gotta have a worthy um, rival. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, what he, the, we got to see him present his case for why mm -hmm. 
why this group should oppose us. And um, essentially, he was saying that he's not in favor of allowing students to have housing. Um, and so that was one argument that we that we heard yesterday. Um, you know, we've heard which, you know, we we couldn't disagree with more. Um, students should have housing and they should have legal housing. And it's actually a really big problem that students aren't on the lease of housing. So students are going to live here. They're going to live either in way. Housing. Either way, you're not going to prevent students from living in this college town. Um, and yeah, it's just a matter of, is it better if they're on the lease or off the lease? And we believe that it's better for the community that people who live in housing are on a lease. First of all, it, it's more um, accountability for the people who live in the house. And it's also um, really, it's a really bad dynamic between the tenants and the landlord if the tenants know that they're overoccupied and essentially they give up their tenants' rights in favor of living there um, in a situation that they know they could get kicked out of. There's a lot of issues with building credit, um, you know, giving people the ability to, to show a rental history. Um, you know, these are real issues that we've seen firsthand people experience. Um, anyway, so that was one, one piece of it. Um, you know, there, there are some people who just genuinely don't want to welcome people into Boulder. They want Boulder to be how it was 50 years ago. Um, and so like, that is a sentiment that we hear from our opposition that Boulder is full. Um, and yeah, so that, that's, that's what, that's one of the sentiments that we hear. Uh, Eric, I'm sure that there's others I'm missing, but yeah, we don't like to give our oppositions arguments for them. <laughs> it's not, I think really it's just beneficial to look at both sides. Yeah, you know? yeah. I think it does help you in the long haul. Well, I yeah, think, I think yeah. the other thing is that that people people who are upholding this discriminatory policy essentially use it as a proxy for other things that they don't like. Um, you know, like, yeah, this is a college town and there are students and and definitely students, you know, occasionally are are louder than than other neighbors. Not all of them, but some of them like a lot it, of it's them. actually I mean, a lot of it comes down to, you know, pigeonholing particular things that they don't like um, or like if you've ever heard a neighbor dispute, like someone who just really doesn't like their neighbor because, you know, they have too many kids and their kids are loud. Like, like it's kind of like you often hear these, these arguments used for something that they already don't like that they're extrapolating to the whole city. Well, it's like, that's, that's really not a way to make an equitable city. Like we can't have policies in place that are just blanket discriminatory because of a, a few, a few things that sometimes people don't like. Well, and another thing with on um, the student piece is, you know, I lived on the Hill. I was one of those people you probably wouldn't live next to for at least a year. Um, right. And, you know, I will like, I promise you that living one person per bedroom is not what makes students loud. Having parties is what makes students loud. No doubt. And that has nothing to do with how many people live in a house. Um, you can live alone and have parties all the time and be super loud. So I think we just need to separate out these issues um, that having fair housing laws is something we should prioritize. And dealing with nuisance issues such as noise and trash and parking and all those things we should also deal with, but those are, those are two separate things.
Yeah. Is, is parking real, really separate though? If there's like a bunch of people like living in a house, I, as I understood it from what I was doing my research, that was like one of the biggest, biggest concerns from the opposition is that there's going to be a lot of cars. You think it's really going to have, make a difference. I mean, either of you, I'm not sure. Yeah. I, I think the, um, the biggest thing that I see in sharing housing is that, um, it really reduces the need for extra cars, which is not go. to mean that that everyone is just going to give up their cars. But I think um, what you see, you already see in, in certain parts of town, places where there are parking districts and ways where um, people can, or, or the city and, and the residents can really manage the parking. And that's like, most of Boulder really doesn't have a problem with parking. Like if you look down any, any given suburban street, like there's there's space in a lot of places now with there are a few places in town where that is an issue and you already see parking districts there so i think just thinking about like you know it as there are challenges in this town you know as as it grows and changes like let's just let's think about equitable ways to address them and and that it's not equitable to just say well we're going to have these housing limits because we don't we don't like cars like that's that to me is just fundamentally defeatist um you know i'm someone that really tries to make the rest of city policy we didn't even really talk about transportation as a city policy but the city has a lot of influence in, in how people get around and you know i think people like chelsea and i and the, the vision on our team is like we need to be promoting like car uh, transportation that that is not centered around cars and mm-hmm. that's really like when you when you look at it at that frame, like a lot of these problems, I think get a lot easier to think about. Definitely. Yeah. Oh, I was just going to add on to that, you know, because we do hear about the parking issue. And, you know, one thing that we propose is that if there are parking um, supply issues in certain neighborhoods, then that issue needs to be addressed on a neighborhood level. There are plenty of families that, you know, both parents have cars, their kids have cars, you know, having cars is not limited. It's not a a problem just limited to people who are unrelated. And so the burden of solving that problem shouldn't just be limited to people, to households that are made up of people who are unrelated. So if there are policies that need to be put in place that restrict the number of cars or, you know, require some sort of process for using access to the public streets, these are public streets, by the way, the community owns them, not the people who live in the houses, um, then we can figure that out. But the burden of dealing with that shouldn't just be on people who are not related. Fair enough. Very cool. I just wanted to ask, figured I would see what you guys had to say. Um, so I take it the three of us. So, so I go door to door six days a week and I literally knock on people's doors and ask them what they think of our city. So I wanted to ask you guys who have been talking to people for what sounds like close to two years now, like if you're in experience, you find that most people are kind of in, in alignment with the way they want to see the city move, or is there like it, truly this, this big divide in Boulder? I'm going to hold my own perspective and let you guys uh, hear what you have to say. Uh, whoever wants to start. Yeah, I, I'd love to talk about that. I think this is something I really learned uh, when I when I was running for city council is that like for a lot of people, Boulder Boulder is really good. And I think you 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 get a lot of this. Well, you see a lot of people who live here for for decades um, and often like participating in, in the community and public process and whatnot. And that it's a it's a it's a force of stability and a good force in our community 
<clears throat> but I think the other side is like um, thinking about kind of the the younger populations and you know I'm in my 30s now but like one of the things that that really comes up amongst our friend group um, and people working on the campaign and and um, people people who are a bit younger is that every five years our friend group just completely turns over and it's like it's really it's really kind of like it's amazing and to think about like just like how can we make a boulder that that works for everyone um and that's to me that that's a big big driving factor of why i get involved um because i think there are a lot of inequalities that that we can uh work on because depending on where you are in that situation you know i think there's a lot of people a lot of friends of mine that have been priced out of boulder and they would like to stay here so that's kind of the, the lens that i look at this Chelsea? Yeah. Um, yeah, we've talked to a lot of people. So over the last, you know, 18 months, we've collected over 10,000 signatures. And that's just the people who we talk to. There's a lot of people who just walk straight by us. That's never, never, okay. Just side note, if someone's asking you to, you know, sign something, just, just give them the time of day, give them, give them one minute. <laughs> it's, it's more, you know, likely they're doing something that will be really good for you in the community. Um, so, so, so give them the time anyway. Um, yeah. I mean, I can't speak to, you know, what the community cares about as a whole, based on the conversations that we had over the last two years. Um, but when it comes to our measure, what I can say is that when, when we got to talk to people and tell them, what the laws currently were, which most people were shocked. One guy didn't believe me. He called me a liar that the, the laws, the current law is the way that it is. Um, that most, almost everyone supported what we were doing. Um, very few people said, no, I don't support that. Um, I would, you know, so nine out of 10 at least were, were in support of, of our measure that we got to, you know, explain the, explain the issue to. Um, so I think maybe that tells you something about what the community cares about. They care about housing. We heard a lot about affordability. We heard a lot about, you know, just being able to get by and green. And, you know, we're standing in front of grocery stores and, you know, even some of our biggest supporters are the, are the employees of the stores that we would stand in front of. Um, you know, they would come out on their, on their lunch break and, and sign because like they're living in an illegal situation. Um, so yeah, I would say that there's a lot of opportunity from the general public to move our community in a more progressive direction. Now, then it comes down to voting and who votes in off-year elections. And typically younger people don't show up in off-year elections. And so one of the things that you know we're really going to try to do is to turn out the vote of people who may not usually turn out in an off-year election to vote because there's no you know it's, there's no senate race there's no president race like this is this is a local election and most people aren't paying attention to local politics um but we hope that our measure you know which impacts all demographics but specifically you know also largely younger demographics who are either just trying to, you know, make ends meet and are at the beginning of their careers, not making a lot of money. Um, so there's a huge affordability aspect to it, but 
Um, but that we saw in doing all the community outreach that there are a lot of people who are older now, but once live over once lived over occupied that support the change for the future generations to come, you know, that don't want other people to have to go through the same struggles that they went through. Um, yeah, so I think it's we I think we live in a progressive community. I think we have conservative representation. And I think if the people turn out to vote, then we can we can move the direct move our community into a space where our laws and our representation reflect our values more than um, than what we have now. Very cool. So I'll, I'll chirp in a little bit. I mean, I've done like close to 20,000 doors in this city now. And I don't know if when I show up and say, hey, I'm the climate change realtor, if it changes what people will say or, or will not. But I've what I've found as one trend is that everyone I talk to loves this city. They love their neighborhood. They love where they live and they are passionate and they have opinions. Well, I mean, not everyone's passionate, but a lot of people have opinions and the trend is always making it better somehow. I don't think that people want it to like, I mean, there's, there's definitely like with the older demographic that I meet, there's definitely like, oh, Boulder has changed so much, but they, they just, they fell in love with the city they came to and they're always trying to make it better. So whatever that vision may be, um, I don't know. I just think people people really care about this place. There's some sort of magic to this city. And I, I don't know. I'm confident that's going to keep getting better. Uh, thank you guys for doing the work you're doing. It's been um, really, really great having you all on to really share your perspective and talk about the struggles that it's been and see how hard it is to get a, a single uh, initiative on the ballot. That's crazy that I didn't even realize that you guys were trying to do it last year. Um, my last question I'd like to address to both of you is what advice do you have for young people who are like passionate about achieving positive change, either in their community or just overall in the world? Uh, I'll go to Eric first. Yeah, God, I, I love that question because like I've been I've been like working on local politics stuff for the past five years or so. And oftentimes uh, younger people haven't been as much involved, but it's, it's been amazing to me for us to work on bedrooms are for people and, and see the issues that are directly affecting young people and see them really jump at the opportunity, like in a way that's like, it's super exciting for me. And like, obviously I'm giving this, this, this story as a perspective of someone who's not necessarily a young person anymore. Um, and it's like, I don't know, like, I guess the advice isn't for young people. It's actually for old people because <laughs> The really what I'm saying is that like young people today, like I just like I'm so excited about it, about about seeing the energy and seeing like like young people know what's going on. They're like climate change, man, this is this is a huge problem and like housing. And what am I going to do? Like like uh, wealth inequality, uh, income inequality, like. I think it's actually like the most important thing is to like empower young people, bring them in um, and give them agency. Um, the other thing I see a lot of times in political groups is that young people get involved and they're, they're kind of treated like, you know, they're, they're just the workers, but they don't have any of the, the power or the agency. And so maybe that is my advice for, for young people is don't put up with that. Like, um, like you have an equal stake in, in these organizations, you have an equal stake in this community. And just remember your power, like 
there's so much you can do with a little bit of organization. And that's why that's why we work on local political issues, but because we can really change things here, whereas it it's hard to change things on the national level. That that takes a, a much bigger movement. But like you can get a group of 10 or 20 people together, organize and actually really, really make some change. So that's that's my advice is look for those opportunities. I can, you can be in my young people gang, Eric. It's, it's cool. We happy to All have right. you. I said I'm in my 30s. I'm turning 40 this year. So anyway, <laughs> young enough. I, w- I wasn't going to call you out on that. I wasn't. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, no, I mean, what Eric said is really great. I think adding on to that, you know, a lot of people will try to tell you what you're doing is crazy. Like when we, when I was telling people that I wanted to reform our city's occupancy laws, they were like, are you sure that that's, you know, what you want to do? Like that seems very controversial and very difficult. And yes, it was both of both of those things, but the amount of support that we've received far outweighs the people who aren't supportive. And I'm, you know, I'm just like, if the, the lesson of don't let people tell you no is really important because you, if you have a vision and you feel like you can make a difference, other people's, you know, ability to conceive of what is possible is not something that you should let prevent you from doing what you feel is right. Um, so that's one thing, um, because people will, you know, if people will tell, especially younger people, there's an element of, and I've experienced this myself where people kind of talk down to you and are like, you don't know what you're doing because you are young. And I would, you know, that that's just something that people have to deal with. Um, but it's not something that should deter anyone from moving forward. And yeah, I mean, if, younger people are passionate, getting involved in organizations where other people are passionate. Hey, if they want to go to bedroomsareforpeople.com slash volunteer, they are more than, (laughs) we love all of our new volunteers. Um, This is a great group of people that, um, you know, are just passionate about local issues. And we, although we're very focused on getting our measure passed. We also, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of topics that our, our team cares about from climate to transportation, to social justice, to, um, you know, all the things that, you know, we're trying to work on as a society and as a community. So yeah, just get involved and don't let people tell you no is my, uh, would be my advice. That's some awesome advice. I love it very much. And I think whether someone agrees with what you guys are doing or not, you can't deny the passion and the persistence behind the project. Uh, and I think people really respect that. And I respect you guys for coming on and sharing on this podcast. And I really appreciate talking to you. It was a whole lot of fun. You guys are welcome on the show at any time. Eric, Chelsea, thank you guys so much for joining me. It's been a real honor. Thanks, Thanks for having us. Yeah, my pleasure. All right, everybody. And of course, we'll see you next week. Have a great day. Take it easy. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Changing the Climate. Here at Climate Change Realty, we don't just donate 50% of our net commissions to fight climate change. We also donate a full 50% of our real estate referrals. So if you or anyone else you know is looking to buy or sell a home anywhere in the USA and would like to create thousands of dollars in donations without any cost out of pocket, please visit ccrboulder.com today.